Baskin's emerging tech and venture capital practice is comprised of 80-plus dedicated legal professionals across the Canadian market. We're deeply involved in the startup ecosystem and have worked closely with founders from startup to scale to exit. Our team is a leading Canadian law firm for VC financings and tech M&A and act for many of the best-in-class startup and scale-up innovation-based companies and entrepreneurs in Canada. Given this experience, we understand market trends and can assist in guiding your company forward as you scale. We take a holistic and strategic approach to helping our clients achieve their goals and provide the full suite of services including corporate, corporate finance, M&A, commercial, IP, data and compliance, employment, tax and beyond. We are excited to help the next generation of unicorns. Hello and welcome everyone. I am Evan McCann and this is The Hard Part. This show is a deep dive into the strategies, founding stories, and behind-the-scenes insights from Canada's top founders, investors, and leaders. My guest today is Steve Davis. Steve is the CEO of Aperto. Aperto is the world's leading property automation and IoT operating system for vacation rentals, hotels, and service departments. In this episode, we discuss a variety of topics, including how marketing and sales has evolved and best tactics to use today, how experience as being an investor and a founder can provide unique insights when running a company, how to make acquisitions faster and more efficient, and much, much more. Please enjoy my conversation with Steve Davis. Steve, I was taking a look at your background and you had really strong background in marketing and sales for multiple years, lots of different interesting companies. Now I'm going to ask you to try and condense multiple years into kind of a few key learnings, but are there any kind of strong opinions you have on on the marketing and sales side? My career has taken me sort of down a bunch of different marketing paths, market research, traditional marketing, um, all, all various forms of the above. And you know what, it's, it's really interesting to see how marketing has evolved uh, over the past five, six years, I think, especially and now, even in the last sort of couple of years. And because instead of sort of marketing at the consumer, I think what's happened as we've seen sort of a seismic shift of like, how do you actually become a trusted advisor slash position yourself as a thought leader versus trying to shove your message down someone's throat. I mean, every day we're all bombarded uh, across all various forms of, you know, phone, tablets, you know, TV, blah, 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 that people tune that stuff out. You know, with the really successful marketers now um, are the ones who can almost act like a sniper and figure out who their exact person they're trying to find is and and drive real value into their into their lives versus like this kind of shotgun approach to marketing, which is much more traditional, you know, mass markets, um, spray and pray kind of stuff. So it's been really interesting to kind of see the the evolution, um, and I think we're going to continue to see that um, that sort of that narrowing of the focus of mar- of teams of marketing teams where they they've got fewer resources, they've got probably running with smaller teams, smaller budgets. And they really need to hone it in and figure out who am I actually trying to find in that sea of people out there and, and actually um, provide them with, you know, with information, background, uh, resources that they need to make an informed decision. And sometimes that means that they're not going to actually choose your product, right? It's kind of a double-edged sword. You're not always going to be their best friend and then they're going to choose you to take you to, to prom. Uh, sometimes they're going to give them a bunch of value and they're going to go with a competitor. But regardless, I think that that kind of mindset is is setting the mar- sort of mar- modern day marketer up for greater success and really being a king of content, king or queen of content. How about on the sales side? What are, what are some fundamental things you've seen throughout your career that, you know, work really well and, and maybe work in a bunch of different environments? You know, obviously, when you're selling different products, different price points, there's, you know, different types of customers, different sales cycles. 
But is there some fundamental things you think work really well and like maybe anyone could use? What you're seeing now with successful sales folks, I'm talking sort of more vertical SaaS here, is sales cycles are, again, much, much like the commentary I just made about the marketing side, sales is much more consultative than it ever was versus, uh, you know, inbound comes in, it's a hot lead, pick up the phone and call and, and, and close the deal in a day or a week. Um, what we're seeing now is, is like longer sales cycles where the, where the, where by the time that the customer comes inbound and they contact you, they've already made three quarters of their decision up, uh, before they even talk to an account executive, right? Like they've done their research, you know, the, the tools that we have in our hands now, especially phones, et cetera. Um, allow us to do a ton of um, a discovery before you actually contact the company. Whereas before that wasn't the case. It was, you know, you would sort of come in and, you know, hey, listen, um, I'm interested in this. Tell me all about what you do. And, and now they already know what you do. And now they're interviewing you to see whether you're someone they want to work with. Right. And so they know as much about your product as you do. Maybe not quite as much, but a lot about your product how it stacks up against competitors, where, like where you fit in the market, all the news about you. Like it's just a, a, an information overload for, for, for the buyer. So, so you're seeing kind of a very different sales cycle where the, the, the buyer is much more informed than they ever have been before. And so successful sales folks know that. And they know that the, the, the buyer is already sitting on third base, sometimes on second base, but they're on third base usually. And you got to figure out how to bring them home. You're not trying to, you know, take them around the bases over a longer sales cycle. You're, you're actually trying to um, convince them that, that's, that you're someone, that your company is in a position, best position possible to deliver value, not only today, like during the buying process, but actually the three months, six months, 12 months, because no one wants to really change vendors once you made a decision. So that's really what you're trying to convince them of is that where you sit today is only going to get better, that you're the person that they, they want, they're going to want to walk, uh, talk to uh, and work with. And, and that's, that's how it's changed. Um, and, and it's a fundamental shift in the way that, that SaaS uh, sales folk have to approach their day-to-day -day jobs. You also spend some time on the investor side of things as well as the founder side of things. And I think that could unlock some unique perspectives because most people maybe will stay on, on either side for their whole career. I'm just curious what that kind of unlocked and maybe maybe made you a better founder, maybe made you a better investor or executive leader, whatever that may be. How did that kind of help you being on both sides? Being on the other side, it's you understand what the investor's looking for. Um, a lot of the time it's it's the intangible kind of <clears throat> je ne sais quoi of the whole process. So like you can have all the amazing metrics and KPIs and, you know, SaaS magic, and you can have all the, you know, the right gross margins, you got all of the amazing kind of numbers laid out. But at the end of the day, the investors investing in you. So, so it doesn't matter what your numbers look like. If they don't think that you as the CEO or the founder, or usually both, are, is the person who can actually go out and dominate the category. They're not going to invest in your company regardless of how, how good your numbers are. Because, and it, I guess it depends if you're, you're going after private equity, if you're going after venture money. Like it, they all have different time horizons and different things that get them out of bed in the morning. But if you're going down the venture route, which is what we did, I think I went into the whole process of fundraising acutely aware of the fact that not only was I presenting my company to the investor, but I was presenting myself as like, it's a job interview. They're interviewing, they've got a sack of money. They're interviewing the CEO because they know at the end of the day, you're the person who makes the calls, right? Like day to day to day to day, it all rests on your shoulders. So it doesn't really matter about your CFO, your CTO, your anyone else in the company. It's do I think that the, the CEO is the right person to take this thing, you know, to the, to the moon or, or wherever uh, you're trying to take it. So I think that that was quite interesting for me because I, I knew that going in, it wasn't like eyes wide open. I knew that every time I talked to a, a venture uh, fund that, that they were interviewing me. And especially if it got to the second or third or fourth call, 
then the interview really kind of started to um, happen. And, you know, really interesting process. I mean, going through, we went through an A round in um, early 21. And then, you know, right away we went into a B round and, oh, sorry, early 22 and then a B round early 23. So 12 months. And I lived through the end of the boom, sort of like when money was free and everyone was just like swamped in cash and it was, Raising money was a little bit more difficult towards the end of it, which is where we did it. But then trying to raise again in 12 months, like literally in the middle of nuclear winter out there, and there was no one was investing in anything. And knowing that, you know, and just kind of living through the difference that 12 months makes uh, and that timing is really everything in this game. And it was really interesting for me to kind of see the difference the, how the bar had been raised to try during during tougher times for a company. And, and it doesn't actually surprise me now um, the companies are struggling to raise money still because it, the bar has gone up significantly uh, in the last 24 months. Like it's it's a different game now for sure. Why did you join there? Like we, we were talking in our pre-chat that you joined the team really early on, not a founder per se, but joined as kind of CEO and, and led the organization. What excited you about that opportunity? How did it come about? And you joined the business quite early on. So, you know, you know, why did you make that move? It was kind of serendipity, to be honest. We, um, so I was working in like raising, basically raising money for some small cap uh, venture stocks in, in, in Canada. We were sort of helping take some companies public, um, some biotech businesses here in, in Canada. And, you know, my phone rang and there was a recruiter that was looking for uh, a CEO. And, and so, you know, jumped through my hat in the ring and just said, yeah, this is always interesting um, to, to go through. The thing that really got me into the seat that I'm in right now is is actually the, fa- the, the, the chairman and the sort of majority shareholder of our businesses, uh, a guy named Darren Houston. And Darren's the ex-CEO of, of Booking Holdings, which is booking.com, Priceline. You know, he ran Microsoft Asia. He was, uh, you know, head of special projects at Starbucks, you know, under Howard Hughes. So he, you know, launched um, I, all the all the Wi-Fi that you have all over the world in Starbucks. You know, that was Darren that did that project. Like some incredible, incredible um, individual. And and so he he was looking for a CEO of Operto. And so for me, the the opportunity was more to work with him uh, than it was, you know. He could have he could have come to me with one eight hundred junk and I still would have taken the job. It didn't really matter kind of what what the vertical was. I was obviously very comfortable in this vertical, but um, it didn't really matter for me. It was kind of to work with a like titan of industry, and you know it's just been so incredible. And so when when he offered me the the role, I said, you know, I look at this role just as much as a mentor mentee relationship, and I'm going to lean on you. Because especially in our market, like Operto runs in vacation rentals, right? Mostly a little bit of a hotel portfolio, but not significant. You know, he ran Booking.com, which is the largest online travel agency in the world. So, you know, here we are at base camp of not even base camp. We're still in Kathmandu. I mean, we're like, like very, very small in the industry. And Darren had like literally put the pole on the top of the Mount Everest. And so, you know, of our industry. So it was kind of that delta between like, okay, you've been there, we're here. Do we think we can take this thing to base camps, you know, like all the way up Everest as well and and and, and really kind of make, make a, a really cool company out of this. So that was really for me the um the thing that attracted me to the to the opportunity was to work alongside him and and we have really worked sort of uh hand in glove for the last 3 plus years to um to take the company to where it is. Um, you know, while he's doing all his other stuff as well. So, yeah, it's been super fun. What is the problem that Operto solves, especially for short-term rental, vacation? You know, I also saw a hotel multifamily and, like you said, the maybe a smaller piece of the yeah. portfolio. But what was the major kind of problem and, and reason for the business? And is there kind of that tailwind from, like, an Airbnb, Booking.com, VRBO, that kind of really... Has yeah. pushed that. If you go back to the the birth of Operto, which is 2016, uh, pre myself, pre Darren, um, you know that was when smart smart devices started to appear in in like Best Buy and, and Future Shop, so you could go and buy like a, a, a 
a smart uh, plug for your wall, or you could put like a smart lock for your door or whatever. Like there was a whole bunch of these smart devices. And, and the original founders figured out, okay, well, you know, for guys who are trying to scale up their, their portfolios, their, their Airbnbs, you can't be in multiple places at one time. So how do you actually run an Airbnb business if you are a single operator or even maybe you and your wife or a partner or whatever, and you've got 20 doors? It's impossible. So you need some sort of level of automation. And so what they started to do was to work with the, the, the lock manufacturer with, you know, with, that had open APIs and web hooks and, and Operto started to basically manage uh, those portfolios so that you could sit at home on a single screen and basically watch people log, um, check in, check out, you know, what the status of cleaning was, like basically manage your portfolio from home. And it didn't really matter where in the world your, your, your units were. And so what that did was it gave it a scaling effect, right? It allowed guys to go from five to 10 to 50 to a hundred and, and really the professional property manager, in my opinion, is really only someone who manages 25 units at a very bare minimum upwards. So if you're under 20, 25, like you're, it's kind of still side of your desk kind of stuff because you're probably making enough money to actually have that as your living. So, so that was really the original birth of, of Operto was like, how do you get the guest from the moment of booking? So we pull down the reservation from booking.com, Verbo, Expedia, wherever. That reservation will pass to what we call a property management system, which is sort of what runs the backbone, the back office of all the Airbnb operators and, and hotels. And Operto sits behind that and we pull that reservation down and we'll do things like guest verification, all the pre-arrival stuff. So like guest communication, hey, this is where you, this is how you get in. This is where the place is. This is like all kind of the instructions that are involved in, in getting someone through and then all the way through the, 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 the stay. So upsells, cross sells. Hey, do you want to use our stuff? Hey, like these are the restaurants we recommend while you're staying in town. <clears throat> Here's a cool tour operator, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, once they leave and they check out, we know that they've checked out because we're controlling all the smart locks. And then we can get in the cleaners faster. We can get the cleaning done. We can potentially even offer the next guest early check-in because our system is so efficient that there's really no downtime between one guest leaving and one guest arriving. So it's kind of that full flow of guest booking to, from the time they book to the time that they leave. Uh, Operto kind of can guide the guests through that whole, uh, that whole thing. And so what you've seen, especially with COVID, is you know the vacation rental market went mental over over that time because everyone is looking, everyone wanted to do something. The staycation hotels weren't safe, conglomerate of lots of people, et cetera. So people were looking for like that place in the woods or that you know place on the lake where they could take their family for a safe vacation. And so vacation rentals for the first time got a major bump in people's knowledge that this little cottage country industry really even existed, right? Beyond Verbo, um, you go to Airbnb, they're not pushing vacation rentals. So, so like they're pushing hotels, they're pushing all sorts of different accommodation types. And, and so what you saw was this huge spike in demand. And really what Operto did was we rode that wave because, you know, as inventory started coming on the market and interest rates dropped and people started to buy vacation places and they started to like Airbnb their places, they needed some way of like sitting in Edmonton and managing their place in Cancun, right? Like they can't let the guest in the tour. So, you know, so, the, so again, ours, our, our platform fit perfectly into what the market needed at that time. And same with hotels, right? Contactless check-in, guest verification, all that kind of stuff. So if we were just, um, we were early to the party, like the, the world wasn't ready for Aperto in 2017, 18, 19, pre-pandemic and like, as soon as Operto, like when I joined, it was, it was like the market was moving really, really fast. And all we had to do was really just hitch ourselves onto the wagon and go it, all the sort of um, pre-work had been done. So it was, it was super exciting. And that obviously allowed us to grow super fast and um, to raise money and, and to, to keep the, keep the, the, the journey going. Curious on the approach there being like open source, like I was going through the website and the numerous kind of software and hardware platforms that Operto can plug into. Just curious your thoughts on open source when maybe some companies would, you know, stick with one or two providers. Just curious, on was that just helping to kind of ride that wave? We can work with anything. 
bigger customer base. Yeah. So what we did was we we said we're going to be totally agnostic to what the hardware is that you use. So we're not a hardware company. We don't sell hardware. If a customer wants a hardware recommendation, we usually just send them to to Best Buy. To be honest, if they're if they're like a small small portfolio, we're like, especially when you go into a, a big box like that. Now the 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 home automation section is massive. Right? So sometimes we'll just send them there. Um, and what we we work with all the major manufacturers across, you know, noise detection, smoke detection, all the smart devices, lights, cameras. I mean, you name it. And we're and we're totally agnostic. We don't mind what you bring to the party, but what we can do is we can stitch together, right? And so, so whatever the tech stock is that you choose to work for your business, um, is something that we can ninety nine percent of the time work with. I like your concept there of you know, and and it's something I heard from Andrew Wilkinson from Tiny in a podcast episode, but like that kind of barnacle on a whale, so to speak, and you're just kind of hitching a ride, and you're and you're riding that wave, I guess. How, how has that approach been? Obviously, it's been very successful to date. Is that something that you can like continue to do? Do you have to change your strategy at some point? Or is the market just so, so big that you can just kind of ride that forever? You know what? I've never been in a market uh, before that is so huge, um, you know, where the addressable market is literally as deep as the ocean is wide. It's so, you know, when we look at sort of penetration of smart um smart devices into accommodation, broader accommodation space. So short-term rental, vacation, you know, uh, hotels, alternative, whatever. It's still probably less than 10%. And so there's a huge market up that is, we're talking like 2000, 2001 internet, right? Like it's penetration is there. People know it's there, but a lot of operators still don't use it. And they're running their businesses on Excel spreadsheets or sometimes even on paper. Um, so, you know, we we believe that there's still just a ton of um, room to grow. And for us, the, 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 the key thing is to just continue to build solutions that are that are relevant to the market as the market continues to evolve. Right. That is sort of working very, very closely with our customers and and trying to like, for instance, in the last 12 months, monetizing the guest has become a huge deal because, you know, with interest rates going up, input costs have gone through the roof with inflation. So like toilet paper and like, I mean, you name it, everything that goes into like an Airbnb has just gone through the roof. And, and because of all the increased competition, it's driven down the daily rates across the board. So, so in 2001, when people were just printing money on their Airbnbs, and it didn't matter what you listed for, someone was going to rent it. Uh, now you've got increased competition and you're trying to service a mortgage that has doubled in price. Everything you're putting in them is, the, is more expensive. And because of the competition, the, the daily rates are coming down. The margin compression has been unbelievable. Uh, you know, so it's much, so now on the monetizing the guest side, I need to figure out like, how do I sell someone early check-in? How do I actually charge you for late checkout? How do I rent you my mountain bikes in, in my garage while you're staying for with me or whatever or my surfboards in my garage or whatever it could be so or or even work with local restaurants to push guests there like that like it's so it's become you know during the good times uh folks didn't worry about that because they were making so much money it didn't matter now it's like geez i need to figure out how i can turn that hundred dollar booking into 125 dollars 150 dollars 175 just to keep my business viable and then so that that for us has been really interesting because we've started to build tools onto Oferto that allows you to do exactly that, right? To find those areas where you can um, start to, to take back some of that margin that, that inflation has crushed. So, you know, again, it's the, the industries that we work in, uh, they're traditional, but they, it's really like they're, they're moving like crazy. Every couple of weeks, we see something that's, whoa, haven't seen that before or some new um, market entrants come in, private equity, and they're starting to sweep up a bunch of units and try and create a super brand or like, there's always different things that are happening. There's almost kind of like two groups there, right? Like there's the Aperto customer who's like using your products and implementing it into their short-term rentals. But then yeah. you've talked multiple times through this episode of the people that actually 
what I would call maybe like the user of Aperto, like they're actually in the short-term rental and engaging with the different tools. So how do you really kind of think about those two groups, which is is unique, especially from a business. Sometimes business only has just like their direct customer, but you almost have like a B2B, B2C kind of model. Yeah. There. So we're building tools, which are, um, we're selling B2B, but we're delivering a B2C, right? So, you know, we have to have, tools that um at, at the end of the day if our tools don't make the day-to-day -day operation of an airbnb more efficient more cost effective there's no point for a person to exist right so we have to be keenly aware that the buyer is actually just trying to run a business and ideally trying to go again from one to five to ten to twenty units and the only way they can do that is through some version of technology and, and automation because um, you can only run a business so efficiently without some sort of technology staff behind it. So we're selling to that pain point around, geez, how do I like run my business more efficiently, protect those precious margin points that I can't without your, your services. <clears throat> but then at the end of the day, that buyer is only really trying to make the customer happy with, you know, advanced communication. We're starting to see AI appearing for our um, into our uh, world where, you know, customers send a message in and then it can automatically respond with, you know, what happened to go through in endless uh, inquiries. <clears throat> so we're starting to see that and, you know, and, and then selling them things, you know, making sure that things that we're selling them are, are relevant. So like, you're not, you're not trying to sell a hiking tour to a, a family that's just arrived with three young kids, you know, you're, or you're not trying to you know, sell a, a, a stroller to someone who's checking it with no kids, like things like that. So, you know, it's really interesting to kind of see um, how we're building tools that are ultimately making the day-to-day -day operations of the business more efficient. But the, the goal of that user is to, to drive direct bookings because when you think about the, how, how the market works, the, if you list your place on Airbnb, VRBO, you know, any of those online travel agencies, they're taking anywhere between 15 to 30% of the booking fee, right? Like it's, it's, it's really deep. And, and so, you know, Airbnb is the Goliath in our market. Everyone, you know, it's like Kleenex. It's, it's what you call the whole category is called Airbnb. And, and so the, the goal for the, for the users, how do I actually drive direct booking? So that next time when the guest wants to come back to my place in Whistler or Tremblant or wherever, that they don't actually go through Airbnb, that they just can't contact the, the customer, the owner directly. And so we call that direct bookings. And so again, if you're, if you can provide tools that allow you to communicate with the guests then you can start to build that relationship so that when they do want to rebook or they want to recommend to a friend or whatever, that they're not going through a third party again, and you can again, take that margin back. So again, it's, it's a game and it's trying to build tools that enable that, that end or for the, for the owner operator. On that thread of building tools, you recently <laughs> acquired a company called DAC. I'm just curious yeah. your thoughts on, you know, acquisition versus build internally. How, <laughs> how do you kind of absorb that acquisition? What are you looking for? Just, just thoughts around acquisition versus build. I'm an incredibly impatient, uh, CEO. So, you know, the thought of building something over 12, 18 months where someone's already built it and you can go out and, you know, especially in this market where folks are open to conversations around acquisition or mergers. We, we've bought three companies in the last three years, right? And for our space, that is like unheard of. Um, there's one, one other company that, that's done it, similar stuff, but it's not, not normal. It's allowed to us to grow quick, right? And so build versus buy, especially when you're looking at like, the accommodation space and, and, and technology driving kind of the next generation of growth in, in that, um, in that market. My personal feeling is that, that time is of the essence. Um, this is like a, like a land grab, like the gold, the gold rush of sorts. And, and so wherever I feel that we don't have the in-house expertise or the bandwidth or the, you know, the people power or whatever you call it to to move quick enough to not justify an eminent situation, you know, 
And it's always finding that balance between like, because it's not just buying DAC, right? It's a fairly small company, about 10, 10 employees, but they've got a huge customer base all over the world. So then you bring all these folks in, in-house, they've got amazing technology, but it's not just like, oh yeah, just flip the light on and like, here we go. Like you're talking about six months of integration. You're talking like, there's a heavy lift that goes into any transaction like that. So it's not like, yay, welcome to the team and you know, here's your desk and off we go. It's like, there's a whole um, piece that happened behind the scenes that it does it doesn't happen overnight and so you know we've learned and i think this is our third or it's our third one but we've learned the hard way like how to do it right i mean our first one when i look back at like some of the mistakes that that we made were like oh you know like so obvious now um that it's, we've gotten better and better and better and, and so we will continue to look at um competitors who do great work got great tech you know, that we go head to head with and that, to be honest, they know that they can go further for their shareholders if they're part of Operto versus like trying to compete with us out in the market. So, you know, it's uh, it's a little bit of wild, wild west, especially in short term rentals right now. Hotels is much more established and bigger players and whatever. But what we're seeing in our space is like definitely a consolidation where some of these smaller players are getting swept up and and joining kind of bigger, bigger entities. Um and, and it's a strategy that I really like because it's not like we're, you know, in some traditional industry, like used car sales or something where it's like, this has been around forever and nothing really changes. There's no innovation. Like our space does not look the same yesterday as it does today. And it definitely won't look the same in a year from now, five years from now, et cetera. So we have like one chance to like get this right and grow as fast as we can in order to ride this wave because the wave at some point will subside. And uh, and we've got kind of this really interesting, say two to five year window to um, to capitalize on. What are some things that you've learned through those acquisitions that are maybe just basic principles that have really, hey, yeah. like the third one has been this much better? The first one I would say is figuring out what you're gonna do with the other founder CEO um, is, the, is the critical one. Um, you know, Sometimes you're, if you buy it, like all of the founders that we've bought have, are all still in the company, um, but it's trying to find like, you know, usually when a founder sells their business, they're so attached to it, right? Like there's a, there's like my baby, I built it. It's like, there's sort of like an adoption process that goes on mentally where you're like putting it up for adoption and it's not quite yours yet, but still, but it, but you feel like it is. And we've managed to get that right, but it, but it sometimes it can be difficult to, 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 to get that right. Um, so I think the first thing is finding out what the motivation of the existing uh, team is to stick around. A lot of times people get like the golden handcuffs and you can't leave, but that's actually toxic and you don't actually want them around because they're burned out. They just want out and they just want to sail off into the sunset. So I think getting that right is, is critical. And, you know, beyond, I'd say a level of technical due diligence behind like what are we actually buying here and like is the heavy lift going to be worth the time and effort versus just building it ourselves right i think you know when i look at what especially one of the deals we did like in retrospect we probably could have built it as fast as it took us to actually integrate it and and that was sort of a level of due diligence that that we didn't do because we just like ah it looks good and you know can't be that hard. Well, it actually turned out to be much more difficult than we originally anticipated. So I think like spending the money to get to the technical, getting a third party to come in and actually give you like a, a frank assessment of what you're buying and peel back the onion per se, and then like really get a, get a good sense. And then I think the third one is, you know, you're, you're going to take on new employees and there's always that kind of cultural piece around, you know, and we've been very lucky. I'd say we're two and a half or three around cultural. Um, you know, we, we bought a company in Spain. So you're like, that was quite difficult from a, a, a cultural perspective. Fantastic people, like love them all the bits. They're great people. But again, language barriers, you know, time zone challenges. Like there's like things that you don't really consider that actually become quite a thing for your existing team and their team and trying to figure this out. So it, a lot of it is, you know, yes, you're buying a technology 
um, or an existing business and you're taking on their cash flows and you're taking on their customers and you're taking on all that stuff. But the, the actual, like how the teams come together and whether there's buy-in from your team and their team and who are the critical pieces that people that need to stay in order to make sure that that transition is smooth. What are their founders going to do um, from day one? Like, like those are like the human piece is almost, if not more important than the, the asset that you purchase, the non-human asset that you purchase. So that's, that's what I would just say, just take it slow um, and, and really do your homework because yeah, it's always more difficult than, uh, than meets the eye. Talked before recording there that Aperto was named, you know, top three companies to work at in Canada by Forbes. I guess from you as a CEO, from a culture standpoint, building a strong culture, building a place where people want to work. What are your thoughts on that from the CEO's perspective? When I started here, you know, I sort of wrote down my goals around, you know, what, what I really wanted to get accomplished was, you know, a couple of jobs with the CEO. The first one, I'd never run out of money, right? So make sure that the company's always got operating capital and, and that's, that that is hopefully removed from the day-to-day -day stress of running the business. The second one is hiring great people. And the third one is building the culture, right? Like as you kind of get bigger, that that's kind of my day-to-day -day job now is to make sure that that the people we do bring in are additive, that there's no kind of, uh, we have like a zero asshole policy at Operto. So like we just don't have time or, or any, any interest in, in sort of people coming in with agendas and, and all that kind of stuff. And so, so for me, we've always wanted to create a place where people can come and like do their best work. No one, our management style here at Operto is super lightweight. Uh, we do, yes, we do like performance reviews and we do like OKRs and we do all the kind of stuff that most tech companies would do on a quarterly basis. But on the day-to-day -day side, people are judged by the value that they bring, not the, not the like how many times we see them in the office and bums in seats and hours and all that kind of stuff. It's like, he, and, and I think that if you've got a, a, a business vision and path for people like personal growth and you say like, listen this is where we're going to go as a company and this is what we need you to do to the best of your ability to help us get to that goal and like here you go like yes you can't make decisions on crazy budget decisions but like within your box of influence like i'm not going to tell my head of marketing how to do her job right although i've got a background that's probably 20 years longer than hers in marketing I'm not, that's not my job. And, and I totally empower her to do her job. And then, so that level of kind of trust and, um, uh, you know, giving up the reins so that someone can actually feel like empowered to make decisions and to do their best work, come to work and do their best work, whether that's at home or, or here in the office, that is critical because people want to feel like their job, their work is worth something that, that it is additive to a greater goal. And when people feel like they're punching the clock and they're just here and collecting a paycheck and I'm you know, silently quitting on you and I don't really believe in this company and whatever, that's a cancer that grows really quickly. And so we've been very, very, or I've been very, very, not ruthless, but like making sure that the people that we do have on the bus are here for the right reasons. And in some cases, we'll, we'll let people go who are great people, like really super wickedly talented, but but I know in their heart of hearts that they're they're not in for the long run and that they that they would be best served working for another great Vancouver tech company because their passion's not in what we're trying to do. So keeping that, keep just keeping real with people, I think is the most important thing. We're all humans. We all, you know, go home to our, our loved ones and families and you know, we have a life outside of um of, of the office. And I think it's really, you know beholden on the CEO, but also sort of leadership to ensure that the people are like, that this part of their life is fulfilling and, and, and where it's not that, that you help them move on to something that might be more fulfilling for them. And, and what that does is it just kind of gives you that balance and you end up getting it right. And I think that, you know, when I look at the culture that we have here versus the culture that we had when I started, I mean, it's like night and day. Right? Like really, really, really night and day. And sometimes people self-select out. That's great too. Like, you know, we kind of got to, yeah, just 
guide people on that journey that they've got on their career. Everyone's got different motivations. Everyone's got different circumstances, understanding that we're all human. And, um, and yeah, and, and just treating people with dignity and respect. Right. And, and I think, you know, we've done the really, really, really good job about that. And, and, and it was great to be on this Forbes. I mean, we, we put our hat in the ring. I think 1500 companies put their hat in the ring and then they kind of dig in and they, they interview your employees and they really kind of get into the knitting of like, what is it, that you know, runs your business and we finished third. So, I mean, we fell off our seat here. This was a couple of days ago. We didn't expect like, we expected maybe top 100 or whatever, but to get that level of recognition around what we're doing and to make sure that, you know, to, for someone else to validate that what we are doing is the right thing, uh, was, was hugely rewarding for me and, and, and obviously my, my leadership group. For you as a CEO and, and leader, how do you maintain an edge? How do you maybe not so much upskill, but you know, like grow with the business as well? Are you talking to the board? Do you have advisors? Do you have a coach? Like what kind of helps you uh, scale up? Yeah, the CEO role is by far the most lonely job you can have. It is crazy. It is and, until you've sat in the CEO seat of a real company. I'm not talking like a two-person company, but like a company, it, it is, it can be incredibly isolating because you wear the weight of the world on your shoulders, right? Like, especially when you're talking about like things like funding and, oh my gosh, if I don't raise this A round, oh my gosh, if I don't raise this B round, like our hundred employees and their kids and families are all like, they're all counting on me, one person to pull the, 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 you know, the card through the storm. And so, and, and it's really difficult to talk about that kind of stuff unless you're talking to other CEOs, right? So for me personally, I mean, obviously, you know, working with Darren's been amazing. He's been, you know, CEO at company 20, 30, 50 times bigger than, um, than Operto. So very useful, but like, you know, again, comparing booking.com to Operto is sometimes like comparing apples and oranges. It's, it's not really the same because it's just not, um, you know, we, we, we built a board, which has been very, very helpful to me. I mean, we've got, uh, a gentleman named Sam Shank on our board, who was the founder and CEO of hotel tonight, um, which is an application that sold to Airbnb in 2018 for 200 and something million. Um, but Sam built that like Operto from zero to exit. Um, and he's only a few years older than me. And so we're, you know, we get along like a house on fire. We've, and we've built in. We built this like incredible board around around me that is just titans of industry. I mean, like the head of you know uh, AI for for McKinsey Global is on our board, and like, I and mean, we've got some real heavy hitters in there. It's almost quite intimidating. Um, so that's been good. But where I've really kind of learned um, a great deal is I I joined uh, something called YPO a little while ago, and you know that's again is sort of a, a gathering of you know like-minded you know you got eo and you got ypo and there's some some of these organizations which are um built to support as like a support network for each other so you know you get to work with other ceos on a monthly basis and air your grievances and talk about things that are going on in your business um and, and really kind of go through those tough times together and to have a sounding board and that's really been useful for me uh i i also encourage people to read a ton. I mean, the amount of great information on, uh, just, just available through podcasts and, you know, um, on LinkedIn. And, and there's some really amazing folks who have, um, who pushed out some great, great content that, um, that helps, helps the CEO kind of navigate those, those turbulent times and, um, and also avoid some of the common pitfalls that, that, uh, that, that get made. So, you know, it's, it's been awesome. I think the, the, the best piece of advice I would give to someone who's either sitting in my seat or looking to sit in my seat or, you know, um, has aspirations there is don't attempt to go it alone because, you know, you're only as good as the people that you surround yourself with. And I think that the most successful CEOs, I mean, I've met some of the guys who were on Jeff Bezos's uh, original board at Amazon. Actually, there's one that's an advisor company. It's like literally on the original board of directors. And like just the most insanely insane individual you've ever met, like from a just so impressive that I go, okay, like he was clearly a savant and amazing in his own right. But like the circle that is around him 
Like the quarterback can't play football unless his offensive line is is protecting him or her so that they can do their job. And so it's, it's like, how do you how do you build that offensive line, defensive line to like sort of surround your CEO to to so they can operate? And I think that 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 becomes as much of a a day to day kind of thing for the business um, as anything else. So so yeah, it's been it's been been a huge learning curve for me. On the thread of books, I'd love to jump in the quick fire round and would love to know your favorite. And if it's hard to pick a favorite, maybe just something oh, you're man. currently reading. I literally just finished that book. It's kind of a little bit of a tongue in cheek book, which was the uh, subtle art of not giving an F <laughs> the other day. Uh, I thought that that was quite funny. I mean, there was there was definitely a few things in there that like really struck a chord with me. Um, I've started to watch and listen a lot to um to uh Stephen Bartlett on the diary of a CEO. I don't know if you've seen his uh his podcast. Uh he's got some incredible uh guests that come on. Um I've started to, you know, really yeah, like audiobooks have become huge for me on my commute in the morning. Uh it's just sort of it's that time to kind of unplug and kind of listen to, you know, some thought leadership around, you know, whatever you, you might be into. I think that that is also critical for me is to find time every day to like just step out of the madness and to be very intentional about like, okay, I'm going to go for a walk. Like I have every day, I go for a walk for about 45 minutes in the middle of the day and I'll just grab someone in the company. And it could be like, and this is probably a cultural thing too. People love it. Like I'll grab the most junior developer in the company and we'll go for a walk. And I'll be like, hey man, like tell me how your job's going. Like, and then I'll like, so everyone... And I think it freaks out some of the people, but they like get a tap from the CEO and they're like, hey man, you want to go grab lunch? And like, I'm a co-op student, you know? Like, come on, let's go. Um, but like just being, taking time to like, whether it's exercise, whether it's uh, whatever, just taking taking a moment to like step out of it, you know, hands off keyboard, go for a walk, go work out, go whatever. Um, I find it is incredibly recharging, uh, whether that's the beginning of the day, middle of the day, end of the day, whatever. Uh, I think it's, you know, we can get so bogged down in our work and like, you know, I think the, this hustle, what they call it, hustle porn, where it's like, I work 18 hours a day and seven days a week and I'm crushing the world. And it's like, yeah. And eventually your world, your world's going to crush you. But to me, I, I've, I started out that way and I've really kind of come off the, off the boil on that and realizing that the time, like intentional time spent is much more effective than like the number of hours you put in um, in, a, in a day you can actually just get so much more done if you're focused and you're and you've got like energy and your um and, and sort of clarity in your in your brain what are you most excited about in 2024 personally and professionally as a business i think at 2023 was a hard one i mean we we started to see you know interest rate. we still grew but it was not like 2021 or 22 that's for sure um you know we saw an increased competition in our space we saw you know, our, our customers starting to suffer around inflation and higher interest rates and all that kind of stuff and competition, et cetera. And so, you know, what I'm hoping for in 2024 is sort of a normalization of, of a lot of those things. I mean, supposedly we're going to see a rate cut uh, in, in Q1, Q2. We're going to start to see, you know, inflation top out. We're going to start to see, um, you know, a lot of municipalities are starting to crack down on like illegal Airbnbs or like just crazy cowboy airbnb i mean i know here in bc they're coming down pretty hard on that kind of stuff so there's there's a lot of things that in our space which are will continue to put operto in a good place to grow in the next in the next 12 to 24 months but i'm excited to kind of see i think we've kind of gone through the bottom of the market and we're you know we're, we're still in a great place we're still growing um and i you know personally that's kind of what i'm I'm just trying to make sure that when that tide hits, that again, I've got the right team, right? That we've got the, the right, the right bums in the right seats to make sure that everyone is switched on, that everyone's um, bought into the vision and we can kind of get, uh, get that hyper growth going again as the markets kind of recover. I think personally, you know, again, it, it's, I'm finding this job like just a nonstop learning learning how the job kind of thing for me it's you know again trying to 
figure out like what what I can be doing on a day-to-day basis to be adding actually the most valuable to the value to the company. And sometimes that's not actually, um, you know, things that I'm doing on the day-to-day. It's like actually helping other people, like almost a coaching job. Like I've got my players in the changing room and my job now changes more to being the coach clipboard and the drawing the plays and making sure that the 20 people or 50 or hundred people that I've got in that dressing room, everyone knows what they're doing. Everyone knows, knows what success looks like. Everyone knows why they're in that dressing room and who they need to work with to, to get an outcome. And so for me, that is like a big learning thing to go from like being one of the players to being the coach. And, and, and again, like it's, it's consuming uh, content people who've been there, people who are like leaders in that space, whether, you know, I, I, there's like, whether it's like someone like Simon Sinek, like, you know, or Sinek or whatever you say last name, like all the way through to Stephen Bartlett, there's like, you know, you can go out and read the autobiographies and biographies of Titans of industry, Bill Gates, what like, you know, Satya, like you, you name it. There's just so much great content out there. And, and so for me, growth wise, I, I'm very intentional that every day I come to the office, that what my new role is for the company. And then also um, making sure that, um, you know, that every day I'm getting a little bit better, like 1% or half a percent better. Uh, and I think that that's a goal of mine. I'd love to open up the mic to you just to wrap it up and leave any message you want to with the listeners, whether it's about Aperto or anything else. We're looking for great people. I think that that is kind of my, uh, my the one thing i would say about our business you know we definitely if if you're a listener out there and you're looking for a hyper growth uh well-funded well-positioned um company that's that's in the hospitality space so we're you know a bit, bit unique um prop tech is big but sort of our niche in that prop tech space is is an interesting one um you know get in touch uh we we're, we're constantly on the hunt for uh, for great people or people that can, um, you know, help us take this thing to, to sort of the next stage of growth. Um, and it's a really exciting, it's a really exciting place to be. And I think, you know, if you're listening and you do have a passion for traveling and you love Airbnb or you love adventure, you love, you know, um, yeah, kind of organized chaos, I guess would probably be the best way of explaining our work, our workplace, um, you know, get in touch. Uh, you know, we do have, we do have a remote team. The, the, the majority of our of our um, companies here in Vancouver, uh, we we do you know we're not always in office, but we definitely have a culture around you know great work gets done when people actually sit together and do and do great work together. So you know um, we're open to to talking with anyone, regardless of where you live. Um, and uh, yeah, I think you know we've got some exciting days ahead, and and we'd love to talk to great people so uh get in touch awesome steve it's been a lot of fun i've learned a lot and really appreciate you coming on and uh pleasure yeah i hope to see you next time i'm in vancouver yeah please you're a friend of the friend of the company and you know lovely place it just overlooks the the cruise ships right in the the harbor here so and the and the fridge is always stacked with uh beers and uh and coffee so you know come 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 anytime you want If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to subscribe, share with friends, and reach out with guest suggestions. Make sure to follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and subscribe to our newsletter on Substack to keep up to date.